Folks, did you know that the election is over? I'm not sure if you knew that. Yeah, I was reading about it. And the election season, you know, it just occurred to me it lasted about a year and a half, about 512 days. And you and I felt the agony of each one of those days, didn't we? And we have differences of opinion and conviction about many things, but I think this is what unifies us. My goodness, it really took its toll on the American populace. It was a weighty, burdensome uh, contest, don't you think? And in many ways, discouraging. In fact, many Americans, studies are indicated, have suffered from anxiety and stress and depression uh, during the whole election uh, cycle. In fact, experts have coined... Uh, the term um, election stress disorder, ESD. It's a new thing, election stress disorder. Uh, I don't know if they're kidding or what, but they're just saying a lot of people have developed anxiety-related symptoms which persist even even now and uh, uh, sleeplessness and all the rest. And so uh, I know if you're like me, you're, you're glad that the election is over and that we have... Uh, survived it, and now some of you, I suppose, are wondering, well, whether we'll survive the, the result. My guess is that most here, this is just a guess, are pleased with the result of the election. And now uh, Mr. Donald Trump is the 45th uh, president-elect of the United States uh, of America. And it was quite a, uh, it's quite a historic event, as I'm sure you will agree, no matter how you you voted. This was a surprise to everyone except God. Uh, he did not. Did you stay up all night watching the results? I did as good as I could. Ten o'clock. That's it. <laughs> that's a late night for me. And uh, uh, but I figured that God did not have to do that to see who won the election because He sees the end from the beginning. So that's always good to remember who's seated on the throne and uh, that He possesses divine attributes nobody else. Nobody else uh, does. Uh, you're aware of the fact that now uh, the United States of America is in for changes. Now, that would be the case even if Secretary of State Hillary uh, Clinton was uh, elected president. We know this. Changes uh, for sure, no matter who is uh, elected to the highest office in the land. And uh, so there's a good deal of questions and uncertainties that Remain again, regardless of which candidate ended up being elected. Uh, but it's good for us to pause a little bit and remind ourselves of the fact that no matter who it is who occupies the Oval Office, there are some things that remain wonderfully unchangeable, and therein must be where our hope resides. For instance, no matter what happens or who ended up being elected, God is still on his throne. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do too. Uh, and and uh, Jesus is still king. How about that one? Do you, do you vote yes for that one? Uh, the Bible is still God's word. Uh, it, it, does that get your vote as well? Yeah. And uh, the tomb is still empty. Yeah, the tomb is still empty. And um, our hope is still in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So those things remain constants, unchangeable truths, regardless of what happens circumstantially. Now, many in our nation are disappointed because uh, Hillary 
uh, Rodham Clinton did not win the election. In fact, you've seen the popular vote just as I did. I, uh, I think she won the popular vote. Did I get this right? Uh, but that's not our system. Uh, it's the electoral vote system that carried the day for uh, President Donald Trump. But many people who voted for Hillary Clinton and then millions of Americans are very, very disappointed on this particular uh, uh, occasion. And uh, those of us who voted the other way around have a grand opportunity not to gloat. That is not permissible. Uh, we have a grand opportunity uh, to help those who are disappointed to find satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is our job. This is our calling. And we want to help people who are disappointed to realize they may be unduly disappointed But I think we also want to help uh, some of us who are unduly elated about the outcome to realize we may be unduly elated. Why do I say that? Well, because neither candidate is the Savior. Did you know that? Neither candidate is the Savior. In fact, I love what Chuck Colson, remember him? He's with the Lord now, founder of Prison Fellowship. We know him from Watergate infamy. Uh, he became a born-again believer. Folk wrote, wrote a book called Born Again. It's a beautiful book. Uh, anyway, Chuck Colson made the statement, salvation will not be arriving on Air Force One. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, that's important. And uh, uh, Jesus is the Savior, and we look to him. And so our job remains the same. Some may be unduly elated, attributing to President Trump characteristics which are beyond his humanness. But some may be unduly disappointed having the expectation that Hillary Clinton uh, has savior-like characteristics as well. Neither. They're gifted in many, many ways, both of these uh, people, but neither is, neither is the savior. And so this is a good time for us to remind ourselves, regardless of uh, what we think about the results of the election, it's a good time to re- uh, uh, reaffirm Uh, the basis of our hope. I love the hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust, I dare not trust even the sweetest frame, but wholly, not partly, lean on Jesus' name. And as we sang earlier tonight, it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Why? Because all other ground, Democrat, Republican, all other ground is sinking sand. You got it right. Um, We have to reaffirm our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ more than anyone else by singing that song. Let's sing it. Are you ready? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is So as not to be distracted from the one in whom we must place our hope, That's a good song of affirmation. Well, now that the election has come to a welcomed end and the American voting populace has uh, elected their 
uh, candidate of choice, and aren't you glad for uh, the way we do things in the United States of America? Aren't you grateful for the smooth transfer of power from one president to the next? It's not like this in all countries of the world. Now that that's all taken place, what do we as Christians do now? Now that the debates are over and the votes are over and all the rest, what do we do? Well, Paul gives us a very clear mandate in this regard in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, I'm departing from John's gospel just for a few moments. We're going to get into John's gospel uh, tonight, but for a while, let me refer you to a couple other passages. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. That's what we do. Do you know the New Testament has seven words in Greek, different words, for the one word prayer? Seven. And four of the seven occur here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It's as if Paul is saying, your number one responsibility, Christians, is this, to pray, because prayer still changes things. I can't imagine what it would be like to bear the responsibility of the presidency of the United States. We must pray for our president-elect and for all those in positions of authority. In fact, the text says, make these intercessions on behalf of all men. And all men, it can't possibly be every individual on the planet. That's billions of people. I think it means all categories of humankind. There ought not be a category or a class or a group of people who remain untouched by our prayers. Why is it, as you'll see, Paul singles out in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, why does he single out a governmental leaders? And he does. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority. I think he does that because that's the category of humankind uh, probably most needful of our prayer and most neglected when we pray. So uh, this has nothing to do with liking a, uh, a person in governmental authority or, uh, or sharing the same value system. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with our biblical responsibility to pray for that person. And what in particular? Well, it says in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 2, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Do you know when Paul said this, Nero was on the throne. Now, I don't know how you voted, and I thank God that's a personal protected right here in the United States of America, and um, you may think ill of one or both of these people, I, I, don't, I don't know. But Nero was on the throne when Paul wrote this exhortation, and he was a monster for crying out loud. Whatever you think of uh, Secretary of State Clinton or President uh, Donald Trump, uh, they're not Nero. Nero was an evil, wicked monster who hunted down and murdered Christians. And yet Paul says we are to pray even for one such as Nero. But you can cry out, Paul, he hates us and I don't like him. No, but it's not to pray uh, 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 because you have an affinity for the person. It's to pray so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 
I don't know if you know this, but we're live, living in an increasingly anti-Christian America. I hope the new administration turns things around. That's one of the things I'm going to be praying. Uh, but we are a... Uh, we, we are a targeted group, Christians, in, in our own homeland and certainly across the world. So regardless of the new administration, there are still many who are absolutely repulsed by the Christian message, lifestyle, value system, and worldview. And their hostilities and persecutions are not going to end and so Paul says you should pray for all those who are decision makers so that you can continue to live a Christian worldview without repercussions from the government. We see the possibility of those already in our country. Preachers and teachers of the gospel can be brought up on hate crimes if we state the biblical value system on marriage and things like that, you see. And so Paul says you should pray for those in positions of authority that they would enact legislation and make a way so that you can continue to live lives in all godliness and dignity. My daughter-in-law took uh, her uh, son and, and uh, our four-year-old grandson to school the other day, and he was going past as she was driving all the election signs, you know, and he asked questions he asked questions about it, and she explained what was going on, and he just spontaneously started to pray, and this is what he prayed. I, I, I have it written down. He's four years old. He prayed, God, help us choose the right president so that we can know you and love you more. That's what a four-year-old pray. <laughs> See, so he was praying that whoever the president is who's duly elected, would be one under whose administration we can freely pursue God, get to know him and love him even more without looking over our shoulder, without feeling that we're in trouble, without having to go undercover. That's what Paul says. So let's just, uh, let's do our part now. L let's do our part. Perhaps, perhaps you see the hand of God in what has taken place. Well, then then let's pray for this administration like never before. I pray for the present administration almost every day, almost every day. I pray because I want the decisions of the present administration to be wise and to be in our favor so that the gospel could go forth. I'm disappointed mostly by the decisions of the present administration, and so I pray. I pray that the one in position of authority would be informed by Almighty God, would make decisions in keeping with his will. I pray for his health and well-being. I pray for the protection of his wife and beautiful daughters, as I will for this next administration as well. We don't want catastrophe and tragedy. I pray that the present uh, 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 governor, the, the, the president, would uh, be enabled to bring us together, would have wisdom and all the rest. I pray that the one in office now and the one to come would, uh, would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't peer into the hearts of uh, President Obama and President Trump to come. I don't know. People say different things. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. I still pray for spiritual growth, maturity, insight, wisdom in the lives of whoever 
occupies the Oval Office. You may have now the candidate you, you, you want. Well, okay, then you have a responsibility. Pray, pray, pray. Why? That we may uh, live uh, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dig dignity. Folks, the election result notwithstanding, I'm sure you recognize that worldwide, uh, Christians in their worldview are increasingly under fire. Many Christians, as we live in this magnificent democracy, live tonight under ungodly and hostile governments. And yet even in these cases, God is sovereign, you say. He's sovereign. But if he's sovereign, it leads to the question, why, oh sovereign God, would you allow your sons and daughters to live under such oppressive, oppressive governmental regimes? What, what oh God, can you possibly uh, seek to accomplish through uh, subjecting your kids to such a hostile and anti-Christian atmosphere. Well, then I came up with this. God can test our faith in atmospheres that are hostile to our faith. He can test it. And as someone has said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Peter wrote to Christians under fire, and he reminded them of what they could and could not lose. He reminded them that they could lose homes and jobs and lives. But he reminded them that they could not lose, this is what he termed it, they could not lose what was reserved in heaven for them. That's what Peter said. Peter said, yes, you could lose all of these things that perhaps have become too near and dear to you, but you cannot ever forfeit. No matter what government you're under, you cannot forfeit those things which are reserved in heaven for you. And so Peter said, you can turn there if you'd like. This is First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. This is what he said. He said, in this you greatly rejoice. He had just rehearsed for them what is theirs irreversibly. No matter what the government or administration is, he just remind them of what is eternally, unchangeably theirs. And he said, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. He said, earthly trials are severe, and you have reason to be distressed by them, which means severely emotionally affected. That's what the Greek word means. He said, but please keep this perspective. They only last for a little while in light of the unending character of eternity. He said, put it in the right perspective. Whatever it is you're living under and have to go through will not be forever. There are trials that last only for a little while. And then furthermore, he says, they only come your way if God finds them necessary. Isn't that something? That's what it says. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now, why in the world would God, almighty, sovereign, loving God, why would he find it necessary to subject ones such as you and I who put our faith in him? Why would he find it necessary to subject us to various trials? It may be a medical trial, a marital trial, a financial trial, a political trial. I don't know. Why, why would God find it? What, what possible good could come from it? Well, Peter answers the question. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, 
even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter said? In essence, God's people are afflicted, but never needlessly so. It's always for a reason. Affliction only comes when necessary, and it appears that it's often necessary. Trials seem to be a must for people like you and me. We seem to do better in adversity than in times of prosperity. And the loving God, therefore, allows times of adversity so that our faith would be perfected and that in the end, a perfected, solid, penetratingly deep faith will prove to be more valuable than gold, which perishes. But that kind of faith which sustains redounds to the glory of God one day when we see him face face to face. So we're not merely put to grief, though you and I experience much grief. We're, we're put to grief for a purpose, not merely to test our faith, but to strengthen it, to give us an opportunity to exercise our faith muscles, to reveal our faith, to, to confirm our faith. And so Satan wants to use life's trials to bring out the worst in us. But the Bible says that God wants to use those very trials to bring out the best in us, you see. And so God throughout history has used things which we, which we don't want to experience. Persecution, animosity, hostility, ungodly governments. He's used all those things to bring out the best in his people. I was reading recently about Christians in North Korea. They are deliberately, by their government, sought out, hunted down, identified, arrested, persecuted, oftentimes murdered. Eric Foley heads up a ministry there called Voice of the Martyrs. He has spoken with persecuted North Korean Christians. He said they don't pray for freedom. They don't pray for money. They pray for more of Christ and to mirror more of Christ in their life. One North Korean persecuted Christian made this statement with reference to Christians like us. He said, you, you pray for us? He was amazed to know that we pray for persecuted North Koreans. He said, you pray for us? We pray for you. You have so much. You put your faith in your money and in your freedom. But in North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom, but we have Christ, and we have found he is sufficient. Those who are disappointed because Hillary Clinton didn't get elected are suffering the death of an imagined Savior. We've got to help them to see. She needs salvation, therefore cannot save anyone. And those who are elated by the results of last night, I'm one of them. But I don't want to be too elated. <clears throat> because Donald Trump is not the savior. I want to be careful, you say. But I want to find my Lord and Savior to be the all-sufficient one. I don't want to put undue hopes and expectations in a mere human vehicle, who I'm going to pray for, for sure a mere vessel who I'm going to pray for, for sure. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. I want to be like one of those North Korean Christians. And I think in order to get there, a loving God may expose us increasingly to hostility and persecution and all the rest, merely because we call upon his name. And what will that do? Well, I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll separate mere professing Christians from real Christians. That's what it'll do. It'll separate wheat from tares. It'll separate those whose focus of attention in church is whether they get to hear the music they like or whether the temperature is set according to their liking. It'll separate those from, say, uh, fr from others who come to say, oh God, I've come to worship you and to be built up so that I can get out there and be salt and light and shine for Jesus Christ. Yeah, we'll see a separation between wheat and, and tares. Sovereign God has his kids living in North Korea under what is perhaps the world's uh, most oppress oppressive regime. What good could possibly come from this? Let me repeat this persecuted Christian's words once again. He said in North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom, but we have Christ and we have found him to be sufficient. Whatever our new president brings to the table, and I'm hopeful it will be much He's not the all-sufficient one. And I hope we evangelical Christians don't make too close an identification with a political party or a candidate that the people out there see us more closely identified with that party and candidate than with Jesus Christ. I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned about that. Don't do that. I would rather have people associate Christians with Christ than with a particular political party or a particular a particular candidate. You see, we can't win anyone to the Lord Jesus Christ unless they see a closer association between us and him. Anti-Christian laws, governments, cultures give rise to the best the church has to offer because unbelievers can see authentic Christianity and the authentic Jesus in the way in which we live even when under fire. So regardless of what political reality we may find ourselves in, still our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can thrive and can grow. First century Christians, a lot of people say, oh, why can't we be like the first century church? Do you have any idea what you're asking for? The first century church lived in a time of repressive and dictatorial government, the likes of which no one here has ever experienced. There was slavery. There was infanticide. There was grotesque uh, sexual immorality. Christians were a minority and were largely persecuted and murdered. Yet, those first century Christians had tremendous impact on their world. I ask you the question, how? Well, it wasn't through the ballot box, for they did not even have the right to vote. It wasn't through any of their governmental leaders, for they were evil, anti-Christian, godless people. How then did they have such impact on their world? They decided to be the salt and light that Jesus called them to be. They didn't see comfortable Christianity to be an option. They didn't think it odd when in his name they took some hits. They didn't rebel 
called their congressmen and signed petitions. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm just saying first century Christians had no expectation that the government was going to operate on their behalf. They just decided to be salt and light because that's what Jesus wanted them to do. And as the surrounding unregenerate world saw how they lived, They, too, wanted to know this living Savior. Now, folks, if the early Christians could flourish under a persecuting totalitarian government, then we Christians in America, wonderful America, even have more reason to flourish because of the democratic system that gives us freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, freedom to elect a candidate who the majority chooses to elect. Folks, let me tell you something that may be offensive to you. I don't think it's God's main concern uh, to make the government healthy. I think his main concern is to make the church healthy. That's us. I'm going to pray for the president and all those in authority. But mostly I'm concerned about me as a church member. And I'm concerned about my fellow church members. Why don't we stand out more? Why do we just become part of the crowd? Why are we indistinguishable from the surrounding culture? I think it's because we've sought so hard and so successfully to become relevant that the unregenerate world can't see a difference between us and them. We drink the same junk they drink. We watch the same junky movies uh, uh, they watch. We wear the same stupid clothes they wear, high up, low down, tight, and all this. We we participate in the same stupid recreational stuff the whole world does, and they don't see a difference between us because there is none. And we haven't we haven't had to we haven't to dig we haven't had to dig in as look at here. If someone here offends you, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go to church down the down the block. Until some, somebody offends you there. That's how we do Christianity. Oh, what would it be like if we didn't have the freedom to publicly assemble? Is that an outlandish notion? <laughs> it's not so outlandish, for crying out loud. The majority of Christians are living in that situation around the world even as we speak. And I just don't have that much faith in our government to think that we won't be spared something like that as well. But I'll tell you what churches around the world do when they can't publicly assemble. They value getting together in small groups to pray and to sing and to study the Word of God, to live out their faith amongst their friends and neighbors, even at a great, great cost. Wouldn't it be something to really taste authentic Christianity? I think it's on the way. How? Not by sheer force of will on our part. I think it's on the way through increasing hostility. The lady said the other day, Stuart, do you think groups like ISIS could come our way and target us as Christians here as they do elsewhere? To which I said, absolutely. I think they're already here. Is that a horrifying venture? Not really when you think all we could lose is is our life. You know what the Bible says? How precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his people. What does that mean? When a man or woman is willing to not just live, but die for Christ, if that actually happens, 
Almighty God says, this is precious to me. That somebody would be willing in my name even to forfeit their life. I don't take that lightly. I don't minimize it. That is precious to me. I'm not suggesting any martyr complex like some religious extremists are prone to do. I'm just saying the things that we fear, if you carry them out to their logical extension, are not so fearful. What if we lose our nonprofit status for continuing to preach what the Bible requires we preach? So what? What if we lose our building? So what? What if you take a stand on one of the moral imperatives of the day and your employer fires you? So what? What if some maniacal, filled with darkness, so-called representative uh, of a false god takes your life because you've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ? So what? I was uh, a missionary in Germany, and I lived, I was single at the time, I lived with a couple, Americans, they took me in. Uh, Joe and Pam Holt, they headed up a ministry with the Navigators. They served American military personnel in Germany. They asked me to come live with them and head up a ministry in Heidelberg, Germany. And there were others, other guys in their houses. There were like four of us at the time. They had two little children, a boy and a girl, Joel and Jennifer. I got a call from Jennifer earlier today. She said, my dad passed away. Joel, Joe Holt, he's from Tyler, Texas. He was a man's man. We used to play football a little bit. He'd throw a football. He could throw it through you. He's strong. He was gentle. He uh, came down with Parkinson's disease over 20 years ago. It really affected this strong man. But it never weakened his strong faith. It only strengthened it. And he passed away, and I was talking to his daughter and son-in-law earlier this evening. And they recounted this, the same kind of passing you and I have seen take place in the lives of many believers. One breath, total peace, boom, in the presence of Almighty God. Don't you see? That's, that's what happens. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is removed. I'm not asking for trouble, neither are you. <clears throat> but if it comes, so what? So what? For the sake of authentic biblical uh, Christianity. We Americans have been so spoiled. We're, we think we have, what about our legal rights? They're taking away this right, they're taking away that right. And I don't. I don't know why we think it's so odd when, when we're not actually citizens here. Do you know that? But don't misunderstand. I'm an American citizen. I value it. I, 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 I served in the military. I would do it again. I paid taxes regularly. That's the way it is. I vote and all the rest. I do love America but not nearly as much as the kingdom I've been put in by the grace of Almighty God. I do respect whoever the president is. I do. I respect the office and so on. But I'm not ne nearly as focused on who's in the Oval Office as I am with Jesus, who is the king above all kings. 
And I have kind of sense, don't you, that my citizenship is elsewhere. But this is not just something we talk ourselves into. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you see? Salvation is not coming on Air Force One, as Chuck Colson said. No, we look forward and upward for the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what we are here? Oh, we're Americans. I got that. But our primary identification is that we are a colony of heaven here temporarily on earth. That's our primary identification. So for our hope and our salvation and our security and our provision and all the rest, we don't look for go to governmental agencies. We look to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live as citizens here in light of our citizenship there, and we haven't done so good at it. We just look like citizens here. Oh, but things will change. I don't know if you knew this. Some people say, I hope we don't come, become a post-Christian America. Folks, that train has already left the station. It is a post-Christian America. Do you know that? It's important to know that. That way we won't be so surprised as what comes our, our way. So what do we do? We live as citizens here, but in light of our citizenship there. Listen, an anonymous second century writer. We don't know his name. Listen to what he wrote. Second century. The difference between Christians and the rest of mankind is not a matter of nationality or of language or of customs. They pass their time in whatever township, Greek or foreign, each one's lot has determined, conforming to ordinary local usage in their clothing, diet, and other habits. Nevertheless, the organization of their community does exhibit some features that are remarkable. For instance, they live in the lands of their birth, but more like temporary residents. They take their full part as citizens, yet submit to disabilities as if they were aliens. They submit to prejudices and discrimination and disabilities as if they're aliens. Any foreign country is homeland to them, and any motherland is foreign territory. Their days are passed upon earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. And he said, whoever he was, they live here as aliens. Do you know what? An alien in any country has no expectation <laughs> of fitting in with the natives of that land. Did you know that? When people come to our country, when we are transplants in another country, whatever it is, no alien, no sojourner has an expectation of actually being fully incorporated and accepted by the surrounding uh, natives of the land. So I wonder if we're aliens, why you and I get so surprised, so bent out of shape, so flustered when our freedoms as Christians are threatened or, or taken away. We act like it ought not be this way. Well, yes, it should if we're aliens in this foreign place. Aliens are often, did you know this? Aliens are often held in contempt by the natives amongst whom they live. Often. 
the host country always targets guests in their country. Usually put them in certain areas and all the rest. They're like an underclass. If we're aliens, why should we be so shocked if we're increasingly being treated as the underclass? Are you kidding me? I want to tell you, these are signs of the fact that our citizenship is not in heaven. And this world becoming increasingly dark is not all that thrilled about us spreading the light of Jesus Christ abroad. And the darkness could not stand the light because their deeds were evil. Why are we so surprised? I think if we realized who we really are, we wouldn't get so lathered up. I'm writing my congressman. I'm protesting. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. What do you mean? You're just being treated as the alien you are. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're not supposed to fit in. But here's our problem. We've been so spoiled. We're not like the persecuted North Korean Christian. We have so fit in. You want to know something? It's possible that many here still employed are not even known as Christians in your places of employment. Not even known as Christians in your neighborhoods. Not even known as Christians in classrooms. It's possible. But it's different now. Things are changing. We're not succeeding in fitting in anymore. Things are getting so radical, so extreme, so divorced from the biblical mooring point, which we value. Even the most timid of us is being forced to represent the biblical value system, to state a biblical worldview, and to represent Jesus Christ. And then we're finding out, oh, we're aliens here because our citizenship is in, is in heaven. So what are we supposed to be doing here <laughs> while we're here if we're, if we're mere, merely aliens? Well, uh, I can tell you this. No government has the authority to send anyone to hell. Did you know that? No government has the authority to send anyone to hell. And no government has the authority to keep anyone from hell. Did you know that? That's why I say don't become unduly elated by whoever is in the Oval Office because nobody who occupies it has the capacity to determine someone's eternity. But Jesus alone has the authority to determine that. Therefore, our job is not to win an election. It's to win people to Christ. You know, to help me remember what my primary job is, I've memorized 40 words just, just to help me uh, get conversations started. Um, I tell people, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son Jesus on the cross in my place. I was sitting in the lobby the other day with a wonderful lady and two ladies and we were just talking about spiritual things and I had a chance to to share these 40 words Uh, I had to call a bank the other day my mother passed away in June and I had a joint account with her I wanted to close it because uh, she doesn't need it anymore she's not going to take any withdrawals out of it so 
you have to jump through all these hoops just to get them to close your account, you know, and send them what remains in it. So I called customer service, you know, and the lady said, oh, our, my condolences to you on the passing of your mom. I said, oh, thank you so much. But I said, you know, my mom put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that she had no doubt about her final resting place, nor do I have any. In fact, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And right there over the phone was a lady in Atlanta, Georgia. I don't, I've never seen her, but I hope I get to see her in heaven. Because <clears throat> I want to remember, I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. Primarily, primarily, primarily. I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Gentile, I'm not black, I'm not white. Primarily, we are these things, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying primarily. I'm not old, I'm not young, I'm not male, I'm not female, I'm not rich nor poor. These are all realities, don't misunderstand I'm just saying these are not the essence of my being. The essence of my being is that I'm a citizen of heaven and I'm to represent the king above all kings. I'm supposed to go about the world looking for opportunities to lead people uh, to him. Jesus wants that. Jesus wants us to make it easier for people to believe in him. Um. I'll go through this at greater length perhaps next week, but I just want to mention something. It's in John's gospel, his story that we've been studying. Last week we looked at the wedding in Cana. Subsequent to it is an event you know about. Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers. Remember that? We'll talk about it more next week because I've taken enough time. But I was reviewing that episode it's a striking episode. A lot of people don't think Jesus gets angry like that. Oh, boy. You want to be saved from the wrath of a holy God. Oh, yes. You want to be saved from the wrath of a holy God. But anyway, he was really angry. Why? Well, there was all kinds of commotion and stuff going on, and money changers were profiting off of people who were coming to the temple and all this was taking place in a place called the court of the Gentiles, meaning Gentiles couldn't get closer to the temple than this particular courtyard, right in the courtyard where the, the Gentiles were restricted. All the money changers were doing distracting things. They were Jewish. Th these Jews, chosen people, they should have been about the business of introducing these Gentile believers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he has something for all people groups, but instead they were seeking to profit off of them. And the Lord Jesus was really angry about this. He's angry when people in covenant with him allow themselves to be so distracted, so distressed, so filled up with things that don't matter that they miss the opportunity of introducing people to him. And so he just overturned all the table. And I wonder if he's just as angry with you and I because we've allowed ourselves to get so distracted by politics and governments and taxes and laws and my rights and all this kind of... I wonder if you seeing why you're doing this and thinking about your republicanness or your democraticness or your blackness or your whiteness or your thisness or your thatness. People are passing you by left and right and they can't get closer to me than this. You. And they're not finding me through you because you're so into you. You're a piece of the pie, your rights, you being treated fairly and all this kind of stuff. What about me? What about my reputation? 
They hung me on a cross. They spat upon me. They stripped me naked and publicly humiliated me. And I'll do it again for you. And for that person who needs to hear about me through you. But you're so caught up with, I'm not getting treated fairly. I'm not getting my rights. People don't like me. They can never get closer to me than you. Because I'm staking my reputation on you. I'm hopeful about this new administration. Because we'll pray. I want to think the best. Please don't misunderstand. But it doesn't matter to me whether it goes south or proves to be more wonderful than imaginable. It doesn't affect why I'm here and why you're here. The government can't save anybody. The Savior can. And the Savior has put the message of salvation into one such as you and I. And we can get so distracted from our privileged position of sharing it that people walk by us and see little or nothing about Jesus. We ordered something through the mail the other day and uh, it was supposed to come at a certain time, but it didn't come. An hour went by, two hours went by, and the delivery guy finally delivers it. I was so distracted with the fact that I was mistreated, treated with such discourtesy and respect. They told me it would be here two hours ago, and now it's here two hours later. Don't they know I have things to do for crying out loud? I did my part of the deal. I paid for the deal. Why are they not doing, you know, going through all these gyrations? The man dropped off the package. Maybe I said, thank you. I don't know if I said anything. I know this. I didn't say to him, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that happened. Because I was so distracted by the way I was mistreated, caught up in the system. And I got a package two hours later than they told me it was. You see? You see how easy it is? And I wonder if the Lord Jesus says, Stuart, you displeased me when you did that. You're not here to get your package on time. I gave you an opportunity. I sent someone to your door. And if he judged me by the way you responded to him, he'll never get closer to me than that moment. There's nothing attractive about the way you treated that guy. Our citizenship is in heaven. I think the Lord's coming soon. Now's the time to really be authentic Christians, passionate for Christ. I don't want to be known by my affiliation with a particular political party more than I want to be identified with the King of Kings. What about you? I want to come out of the closet. There's a lot of that going around. I want to be unabashedly and unashamedly, distinctively Christian because I'm an alien anyway, and my quest to fit in has really led to failure. We're never going to fit in. All you got to do is open your mouth the first time about same-sex marriage, and it's over. You done blew your cover. Why even try? Every maniac in the world is boldly proclaiming untruth. But we're the repository of truth. Why are we so ashamed?
I dare you. Make a gospel sharing event happen this week. I stopped praying, oh God, give me opportunities. He does. I'm just so caught up with the stuff of life, you know, and what concerns me and my rights and treat me nice and all the rest. I can't get the unsaved person close to the Holy of Holies. <laughs> Because the only way is to go through me and I'm no stepping stone, I'm a stumbling block. God says, I give you plenty of opportunities, you just miss most of them because you're concerned about getting your package on time. You see? I'm really grateful to have been born in America, be an American citizen. I'm really grateful for the democratic process and all the rest. I got all that. And I'm hopeful about what, what, what will come. I'm really grateful for the access to the White House, I believe strong, godly men and women will have as counselors to our next president. I'm surely praying that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust even a new president's sweetest frame, (laughs) but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock. No matter what happens, we stand. And history has proven to us all other ground is sinking sand. Lord Jesus, thank you that our country is intact. We've had no coup nor revolution. Thank you there's been no violence, nothing like that. But we're quite a divided country. Lord Jesus. But diverse people can come to be family, brothers and sisters, if we're able to pray two words together, our Father. That concept can't happen until we come to you through your Son, your only begotten Son. Lord Jesus, you're the one who can bring unity amongst otherwise disparate people who would otherwise have nothing to do with one another, and therefore... We pray more than ever before you would make us to be about our business as citizens of heaven, aliens and sojourners just passing through, entrusted with the gospel message by which all men can be saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for putting the deposit of the gospel message in our lives. Thank you for giving us opportunities, even as we leave this place tonight to share that with people. Give us eyes to see. And may, with your help, we clear out the clutter of distracting things in our lives, keeping people from seeing you in us. Oh, God, we pray you would unleash us a sleeping giant to be salt and light in our world, just as our brothers and sisters in the first century under less favorable conditions were. We want to find out, as do our persecuted brothers and sisters in North Korea, that you are sufficient for all our needs. We need not fear what we may forfeit, because we can never forfeit you. We are grateful, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.